What is up, Fantasyland? We're back in the district. The Pollard Express finally took off from the station in big fashion. A lot of rumors today, a lot of action. NFL GMs watching the show, hashtag always be trading. We got a lot to talk about. Players going all over the league, making it exciting. And we have a huge guest tonight. Guys, let's get to it. District, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing on all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So, what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. 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 And I always be traded. 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 And I always be trading. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. What is up, Fantasyland? Welcome back to the district for a monster show tonight. We had the NFL trade deadline today, so we're going to dive deep into that. We've got the whole GOAT family. Dan, we were on last, and we completely forgot to thank the fans of the GOAT district, you, the listeners, you who join us in the chat on the weekly. We love you guys. We're, we've, we hit the 600 mark, guys, with our subs. We're trying to get to 1,000. You guys have been awesome with uh, sharing the show, giving us feedback, and we've got Famous Jay in the chat. Guys, we have a huge show tonight. Theo, we, we said we, we've got one of our Mount Rushmores when it comes to our guests. One of our favorites, for sure. Why don't you walk this man proper? So this is one of our favorite guests. Um, if, you're, if you're following fantasy football, you're watching the GOAT District, uh, You know, there's no doubt that you follow uh, John Daigle on Twitter. Ooh, uh, John, yeah. is putting out, John is putting out tremendous work uh, at 444. Uh, both in written context and also putting out, John, about four or five pods a week now for you? It is four or five pods a week, but if you include Discord and everything else, it's actually 10 shows per week. Yeah, it's been some really, really excellent uh, pods. Uh, John John does some great ones with John Paulson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also does some great stuff with Sam Hoppin. Uh, the three of them, when it gets together, it's it's become part of my weekly routine to listen to you three. Um, we also uh, have the great pods you do with Hayden Winks, um, and y- you're you're all over the place. So we're really happy to have you on NFL Trade Deadline Tuesday. We had an awful lot of action. Uh, I think you're you're maybe the ideal deal guest to kind of navigate us through these uh, these crazy trading waters. Uh, so we're we're fired up to have you here. And is there anything else you're putting out that, um, that you want to kind of share with the listeners? It's the waiver wire column, which is updated right now on 444.com actually uh post trade deadline and that includes broncos backfield dolphins backfield everything we'll talk about on the show um i know some people 
what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, they prefer to stick to like, you know, the strictly FFPC talk. I know Theo, you do a, a great job with the FFPC high stakes waiver spot here on this show. But I've always just said, like, if you can do both, right? Like, if I can talk about these insane leagues, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I'm on your side here. Uh, Rondo Moore should not be available in leagues. But in these insane leagues where he is available, but then also talk about leagues where Brock Wright, Tanner Hudson should also be picked up, you should do it all. And so I make the waiver wire column for everyone. I don't segregate anyone. Uh, and that's the way it's written every week. So it's there for 4.4.com. And our Halloween sale just ended. But I guarantee if you DM me, uh, I can probably get you a code for at least half off, at least half off. And for better or worse, we all know over half the season is left, which is still insane to say. You wear many hats over there at 444, John. You definitely, uh, your name rings true in the high stakes streets, but you're also helping people in shallower leagues. And uh, that's a very difficult thing to do. And I think it's awesome because your waiver wire this week, um, a guy we'll get to later on the show, but a guy that's going to be available to people, whether they're in shallow formats or larger formats your number one guy this week was isaiah likely um maybe we could just start out you could kind of share your thoughts on him and then we get to today's action it's a tough situation because the ravens have one game in the next 20 days and since we know that they hit by after monday night's contest in new orleans against the saints then maybe they do hold out andrews if he's roughly even 50 percent uh, we know Rashad Bateman also going to miss a few weeks. Gus Edwards day-to-day. -day, we'll see what happens to him. But overall, we think we're still wagering fab on Isaiah Likely, wherever he's available out there. And I know in some high – and, you know, at FFPC, a lot of people held on to him, even though, like, we've also seen in FFPC, some people, like, dropped Elijah Moore. That didn't end up mattering. But still, dropped Elijah Moore, dropped Traylon Burks. Uh, it's wild. It's the Wild West out there, depending on your roster needs. But Isaiah Likely may be out there, and even in one start – I, we think he can go nuclear, especially with Rashad Bateman out of this lineup overall. We've now gone back and seen him in the preseason, likely. Uh, and he's recorded on his route since the preseason a elite 24% target per route run rate for 11.5 yards per catch and uh, a 21% target share from both Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson in that span. When he's on the field, Isaiah likely does nothing but produce as legitimately a top five tight end, especially because we may now take out, uh, well, we not only have six buys this week, but also we may take out T.G. Hawkinson, who as a part-time player, we'll get to that in a bit, in his first game with the Vikings. So overall, if likely plays on Monday night, I think we're legitimately, if he's starting, I think we're legitimately bidding on a top five tight end. And so knowing that we think it's only going to be one game as well, it's tough. It really is tough. But with six buys, especially in FFPC, where you can flex him in that range of outcomes, um, I still want to wage war. I still want to go for him. We got to get the tight end whisperer, uh, Dan Williamson's take on Isaiah Likely. And I have a follow-up question for all of you guys. Let's say that let's say that this is not a Mark Andrews missing. Dan, maybe your thoughts on Likely if we find out Andrews is missing and then your thoughts on him just basically moving forward. I'm probably going to have a hard time starting likely if Andrews plays uh, just because of the way it's gone so far. Um, even with Bateman missing games, which we've seen before, uh, that just really hasn't done enough for likely to really make him that startable. Uh, but absolutely, I think uh, he's, he's a guy you've got to be bidding on because of the chance that he can play. And I mean, it, you know, this week is, is where the rubber meets the road because 
anybody with a pulse on the the waiver wire is getting picked up and probably yep. getting thrown into a starting lineup uh, because there are, there are teams that are just going to be that desperate. Uh, usually in in every league, there's going to be one, maybe two teams that are real heavily heavy on the week nine buys, and uh, they're going to have a hard time even just putting together a starting lineup. Uh, you know, I, I may be that guy in a couple leagues, but um, you know, it's it, it's one of the things we just have to deal with. But I I think we're also going to find out uh, you know what some of the the players on your your bench mean to you uh, because of the fact that. There are going to be so many, you know, so many week nine buys. Uh, there are going to be times where, you know, you may have to drop a player. You don't want to drop it unless you want to take a zero to a lineup spot, which is always tough to do in a contest. Dan, I even wrote about, uh, uh, I wrote about Khalif Raymond to your point. I wrote yes. about uh, uh, James Cook initially before the trade deadline. Uh, the Bills being 12 and a half point favorites over the Jets. Like, those are literally the kind of players I'm looking for in deeper leagues. Like right now, with you, when you have so many buys, you have to guess game scripts as well and say, well, if we think the Bills are going to blow out the Jets, then this player, who it's now Naheem Hines, I guess, if assuming he gets cleared for his physical, like this player could play the second half, and those eight touches mean a lot in the Biomageddon of Week 9. Got to normalize the expression by Mageddon. If anybody listening in the fantasy community, a lot of industry people, let's uh, let's get it going because six teams on by is is just insane, brutal. Yeah, it's it's really brutal. And also, I think that Dan nailed it. It's almost as difficult to kind of gauge which guys to cut as it is which guys to pick up because you don't want to get burned on having to like would Andrew would be like your literal nightmare to have to drop Traylon Burks this week if you've been holding him for this long or like an Elijah Mitchell I know some we've been holding him in in certain places um like that kind of thing is it's just brutal especially if you've been carrying somebody for you know four weeks and then you're like you know oh crap I need the roster spot it's just it's just brutal and to get further into the, the the niche of uh of ffpc right i think you you've got to also think about some of your other tournament teams so i've got i've got one team that's you know really going to get hit by a buy them again and the team stinks anyways and from my perspective i you know i i could pick up guys on the waiver wire but then i'd be potentially dropping somebody that could be um you know maybe if they turn it around it you know they could be relevant uh in, in tournament play so i think like for for some teams you, know, you, you kind of got to look at it and say okay do I just take zeros because this team is is a, is a dud and in, in, in dead, um, and that way you're, you know you're protecting uh, you know yourself down the road. So I think there's a lot a lot of things to consider, especially when you you know uh, do the three dimensional chess of my uh, of FFPC. My toughest decisions this week, and I don't know what I'm doing just yet, but I'm in a situation where the best player for me to drop on one FFPC team is literally Wandale Robinson. And again, I I may I may do it because I have. I don't like I'm not a zero guy. Like I hate I get it. I think it's egregious to take a zero, but again, for him I might. And then another situation where I'm gonna go over the fence on Brock Wright, because there's no other tight end in this one particular league. And uh we're we're going to war with everybody. Like I need those points, even though I don't even believe in Brock Wright long term. That's that's uh that's tough. You know, that's kind of a, a good segue. Uh we had this massive trade deadline today. I think JD sent out a trade saying that this was the most trades to go down on a on a trade deadline ten. Um, yeah. in, in quite some time in like ten years, John is that the ten, so uh, ten ten trades I believe is the deadline history. Ten I trades believe, is the is the is the max. I, I believe that's the most ever. Yeah. 
And then you add on to that, we also had the the trades that went down beforehand, uh, which are we'll we'll get to. But why don't we start out with uh, a fun one? You're you're in Chicago. The Bears made a big move to get Chase Claypool. Uh, they traded a second round draft pick. They get Chase Claypool. Maybe you could kind of talk about the fantasy fallout for the Bears. What does this do for Chase Claypool? Um, and and what are your thoughts on him short and long term in Chicago? Lots of moving pieces here. So starting with Clay's pool in particular, we know in the last couple of weeks, actually, he came out and complained about his depth of target, that he wanted to go back to being used more as a downfield receiver, even though, you know, uh, he has a poor career contested catch rate even coming into this year. But he's still averaging for this team 6.2 targets per game. Uh, we don't think that can increase with Chicago's passing volume. Like Chicago is doing what they do best. Justin Fields has averaged over five and a half design carries per game the past three contests, whereas in the first five weeks, he averaged just three and a half design carries per game. And that's what allowed him to be, the last two weeks anyways, a top five quarterback was because of a higher rushing floor. And so Claypool certainly helps his offense in real life. But honestly, I really think the only winner from the trade is Justin Fields. Uh, Claypool may pop here and there, but I think picking those start-sit decisions is something we don't talk about too often, especially in high-stakes leagues, and picking when to start Chase Claypool on on undoubtedly fewer targets. Not only that, but then picking Darnell Mooney, who's already, Darnell Mooney's the wide receiver 55 in targets per game with just five and a half. He's the wide receiver 73 in fantasy points per game. He doesn't have a single top 24 finish on the season this year. And so overall, it's like, okay, these guys can pop because they're deep targets. Justin Fields, of course, has the highest attempt rate on 20-plus yard throws of any starter in the league, so he wants to go downfield as well. But when will they hit? When will they catch these coin toss throws? And I just want to go back to Justin Fields rather than trying to prioritize these other players, even though I understand, again, in Week 9, you may have to start them. Fields also, by the way, super interesting because through Week 13, this week on, has the Dolphins, Lions, Falcons, Jets, and Packers. He hits the bye in week 14 and comes back in a nightmare scenario for us in the playoffs. Uh, Eagles and Bills in weeks 15 and 16. But to get us there, and then you look at what I've been doing is I've been pairing him with Deshaun Watson where I can. Uh, And Deshaun Watson, not available in all leagues, but y'all have talked about even on the show, Deshaun Watson's playoff schedule. And I think for Fields to get us there with his higher rushing floor, with more talent around him, and then we toss the baton to Watson in the fantasy playoffs is the way to go here in the stretch for the second half of the season. Dan, okay. your thoughts on the on the Claypool move? Yeah, I, I, I'm with uh, with John here. I think it's just basically uh, more wheels up on uh, on Justin Fields. I don't really think it does a lot for Claypool. I'll, I'll be interested to kind of see how it shakes out in the wide receiver rotation. In Chicago, are they going to keep him in the slot? Or are they going to try to move him outside? Um, he's he's been playing mostly in the slot for Pittsburgh. Um, I I think Mooney is probably a better player in the slot than he is outside at times anyway. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping there's some job sharing going on there because I think that would probably be better for Mooney. But ultimately, uh, I, I I think you know this means if you had any uh, thoughts of Equiminius, St. Brown, or Dante Pettis, or anything like that. I mean, for week nine, they're still viable. Uh, but anything past that, no, not really. 
that, that if you, people people considering uh, Equimania St. Brown uh, probably are not listeners of, of the Goat District podcast. Well, well, yeah, no, no, I'm just talking about for the uh, for the bi week uh, crunch, you know, the and, one week pickup. And <laughs> uh, remember, Equinemius St. Brown was actually injured this past game. Like that's one of the quieter injuries of the week because oh. like it, it does maybe force Claypool immediately into two wide sets. Like if they need that help right now, since Byron Pringle also injured. Right. And Andrew, you're going to have to drop your Nikhil Harry shares uh, off this mm-hmm. trade. Yeah, um, well, right? well, yeah, two, two bits of nonsense. One, uh, we can't forget my boy, the Hof, uh, was a huge Equiminia St. Brown guy. Uh, but I think that's more for a bit than anything, uh, not to be taken seriously. And I guess, Daigle, the other question is you came on before the season. We, we, we put on Bears under six and a half bets right at the end of the podcast. That was the, that was the uh, team total giveaway. What you're saying is Chase Claypool doesn't move the needle in terms of the uh, the over under uh, six and a half. Is that what I'm hearing? Correct. But and and remember Claypool yeah, yes, had. Yeah. Uh, remember Claypool had six carries in week one, but yeah. since then he doesn't have more than one carry in any game this year, yeah. and only a carry in general in two games. But also. What's funny is that I also said that expecting the Bears to be bad at everything. They are terrible at pass protecting, and a lot of that, like Joe Burrow, can be blamed on Justin Fields, who even going back to Ohio State held on the ball too long. Like Deshaun Watson, his ability to do that is a blessing and a curse. But they are really good at run blocking. Like They're they're top five in ESPN's run blocking win rate metric. Uh, Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery both are doing well because of I don't know how, but because of this offensive line. And so that's why I, I want to bet on Justin Fields now, not even for his arm. But uh, maybe they win a few more games, honestly, because of the I schedule I got and worried. solely running. Yeah. I, I got worried about the bet. I, I, lo- I looked at it because I think they also like won, like, what, the Monday Night Football game when they probably shouldn't have against – is that against the pa- – they, No, it's the, it's the pa- uh, Patriots last week, you mean? Oh, uh, no, it's like early. Any, no. Anyways, early, earlier in the no. season. But the, I, Patriots, I, I, the Patriots game still pisses me off because they recovered all six fumbles. What team actually does that? That's insane. <laughs> Extreme fumble luck. Yes. Yeah, okay. I, oh, I, I've, I've been tracking insane. that six and a half bet because I put it on right at the end of the podcast. Okay. We're okay. So, we're still we're still safe, I think. Uh, and Justin Fields, Justin Fields is great for fantasy. That's a win-win. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, kind of a, a fan of what Chicago did because you get a – you know, a younger wide receiver. He's got over 2,000 yards receiving in his career. Mm-hmm. And he's he's got that uh, very, very affordable contract. So, like, I think that it was kind of a shrewd move by Chicago. We've been saying they need to go out and get help for Justin Fields. We said it all summer. They were linked to a number of players, and they went out and did it. They got Claypool, and I think it's a nice landing spot for him. Maybe not for fantasy numbers this year, but I think long-term – uh, he could be a guy that could really help them next year. Um, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers. They're on their bye week now. Um, how do we see? Because Claypool has 50 targets this year, um, or so. He's he's got. Uh, I have to double check that. I believe he's at 50 targets. So we're we're gonna see a condensed target tree. But do we think that his targets are going to go immediately to Pickens, or do we see this as a potential bump for Fryermuth? And Deontay Johnson is already getting a ton of targets. Could he see even more? Maybe we could go around the horn here. Your thoughts on Pittsburgh, John? Pittsburgh, uh, uh, Pickens is going to be an interesting case study because we know his targets have been 
dreadful. Uh, he's actually run more routes than Claypool the past two weeks. So we can still put him on the field for slightly more routes run now that Steven Sims is going to be in the slot. But it genuinely just comes down to how much his volume increases since right now 36% of his targets have come 20 yards downfield. And more importantly, Kenny Pickett has the league's lowest completion rate on throws 10 yards downfield and has completed just 26% of his passes with five picks for seven and a half yards per attempt on throws 20 yards downfield. Outside of Zach Wilson, Pickett is literally the league's worst downfield thrower, and that's where Pickens gets his targets. So it is worrisome. Those are prairie yards, not air yards, what we call them, because they don't come to fruition. At the same time, if you're giving me so now seven to ten targets per game i'll take my chance on those prayers more prayers equals more opportunity to actually happen and help us out and so i do think more volume can happen my only concern is that and by the way uh it's pat fryermuth who's already averaging a 24 percent target share in his last three full games from kenny pickett at the same time, though, I just wonder if it's more to Pat Fryermuth. Fryermuth's already averaging eight and a half targets in those last three full games. But since it is safer where he runs his routes, where he sees his targets, maybe it's just more for him to suddenly become a top five, top six tight end and just stay there weekly. So I think Pickens will be volatile. It's sexy, but I think he'll be more volatile. And I still consider him a wide receiver three rest of the season, whereas before we couldn't even really start him, honestly, in FFPC. That's what we love to hear. We love to hear anything positive, Pat Fryermuth in the GOAT district. And how about he becomes just a top six tight end for life? Dan? Theo's going to be unbearable if Fryermuth gets that kind of target <laughs> share. I'm <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and it's all right. I'm good with it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think probably Fryermuth is is the most likely one to benefit. But as, as you said, John, I think uh, just – more attempts going to, to Pickens is going to definitely help him out. I have had to start him in a few uh, FFPC leagues just from injury desperation or whatever. And um, it, it did not go well this last week. So um, I'm, I'm hoping for some more targets. Uh, I think he got, what, three targets last week and uh, and, and didn't get a single catch. So, um, you know, but that Pittsburgh's got a problem at quarterback. Um, and that needs to be fixed. It's the schedule, and unfortunately, the schedule doesn't get any easier moving forward. Uh, at the same time, though, that's why we want more volume, because every time we watch Pickens, it's very clear he's the dude. Uh, mm -hmm. He has to make a Hall of Fame catch to produce, but he's capable of doing that one out of every three targets. So more exactly. volume is a good thing. Let's do an ROS, guys, to, to kind of uh, segue here. Do, John, do you prefer the Muth or TJ Hawk rest of the season? It's the Muth, for sure. I, I still question Hawkinson learning a new playbook and then what happens to him in a new offense. Now, the good thing is uh, Vikings are still top 10 and dropbacks from 11 personnel. They want to use one tight end. Irv Smith expected to miss the rest of the season, so we don't think anyone, Johnny Munt included, is coming to take Hawkinson's spot. And you make this deal with two picks, including a second rounder, because likely you're going to not only pick up Hawkinson's 9.3 million team option next year, but likely extend him in 2024, assuming he does well. Um, that's why the Lions and Brad Holmes traded him because they knew they weren't going to pick up that option or extend him. And that's why the Vikings made the deal for him. And so given that there's at least negligent competition around him, 
uh, especially in the intermediate level of the field where Hawkinson has recorded 25% of his targets this year. I, I think he does have a higher floor, however quickly he learns the playbook. But Fryermuth is has already shown rapport and been so safe. And that was with three competent wide receivers. Now we have two and Fryermuth. So I take Fryermuth rest of the season for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Theo, how do you how do you feel about it between you and EJ? I think that like if I'm ranking tight ends rest of season, I would have Fryermuth ahead of Hawkinson. Hawkinson right now is tight end four overall in most PPR formats. I think he's gonna settle into like, you know, tight end eight, tight end nine. It's it's kind of flat after, you know, the big two. I think Hawkinson is is safely in there. I think he'll do well in the red zone. I'm excited for Minnesota. Uh, I think that they're I, we can kind of get to them in a minute, but it's to me it's 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 Muth. The the targets will be there every single week. I think Hawkinson could have some frustrating games, but I think he'll make up for it. Um, you know, most weeks and finish inside that tight end one line. But but Fryermuth legitimately can be a top five tight end rest of season. And at least yeah. Fryermuth has done it consistently. Like a lot yeah. of Hawkinson's production came down to that career high 178 yeah. receiving yards because everyone around him, literally everyone, was ruled out for the game. And, and I think Theo t- touched on, you know, the, the tight end learning the position in a new offense. We underestimate yeah. the, the time that takes sometimes. Dan, you have anything different on uh, the two tight ends before we get deeper into Minnesota, your, your, your Vikings? I mean, let's let's move deeper into Minnesota. I think I think we've uh, covered Muth pretty well. Yeah. Plus, Andrew, has right. anything to add? Why don't we start with Dan on that one? Dan, what's your initial reaction to what Minnesota did today? Show some excitement, Dan. Come on, man. Come on. I think it's a great move for Minnesota. I mean, you know, you're you're looking around the NFC and you're seeing the Eagles and pretty much nobody else. Uh, you know, what do you want the Vikings to do? They, you know, they they see an opportunity here. They're going to go out and seize it. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe the Eagles are a better team right now, but a lot of things can happen between now and the end of the year. So uh, you you just take that chance and and go for it. And clearly, uh, Irv Smith was not what they were hoping for when they drafted him. Um, he, he has just not been nearly as productive as he needs to be. Um, and especially in that offense, I mean, you know, we, we, we've seen what that offense can do with a tight end. They haven't been able to do that with Irv Smith. I mean, even Johnny Munt was starting to pick up targets off of Irv Smith. So uh, that, that, that tells us where we're at with Smith. And I think with Hawkinson, the nice thing is in the short term, yeah, you've got to worry about, you know, can he can he get enough targets while he learns the offense? But in the long term, uh, you know, targets tend to flow to talent. And I think he is definitely more talented than Irv Smith. Um, I, I think the jury's still out as to whether Hawkinson is a lead or not. I know there's a lot of people who think he isn't. I think we just haven't really had a chance to see for sure yet. Uh, Dan, that red zone offense is going to be lethal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you've, you, you know, you've got Thielen, uh, and, and Thielen might be the one potentially most hurt by this. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, sometimes when you when you add talent to an offense, it helps everybody out. So, uh, you know, I, I think in the short term, uh, you know, you, you start Hawkinson if you need to, and probably this week you're going to need to on most teams. Uh, I don't love it, but... You know, um, I, I do have some teams where I'm I'm short enough in buys. I'm going to have to start Hawkinson, or I'm going to have to drop somebody I don't want to drop to pick up uh, somebody who probably has no more chance 
than Hawkinson to score anything. But that said, if you got room on your roster, get Johnny Munt, get him in here this week. Uh, he's probably going to have a good week or two. Andrew and JD, um, do you want to add anything on your thoughts on this move for Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Hawkinson showed you his ceiling. I mean, all all, all tight ends have a have that, that 0.4, right, which I think Hawkinson more or less did in back-to-back weeks after his explosion week. I know it wasn't zero the first week. Maybe it was like three or four points or whatever. Um, but I think just the fact that he's already shown you the explosion, I think Minnesota's dying to have something as like a number two receiving weapon behind Justin Jefferson. Like I know we like, you know, Thielen's fine. KJ Osborne's fine. But I think that at this point in Thielen's career, finds all he is, KJ Osborne, you know, he's just a guy. I think that there's plenty of room for Hawkinson to run as Justin, you know, as a number two behind Justin Jefferson. So I, I think that's the way we should be looking at him. And again, okay, let's say he's got some boom and bust weeks. I mean, what tight ends don't, Theo, you mentioned it, super flat after, uh, you know, Andrews and Kelsey. So, you you know, you, you, might, as, you might as well go after it. Uh, but, yeah, Dan, I, I like the the month call for this week um, until uh, Hawkinson gets up to speed. Yeah, and I totally agree with Dan that, it, you know, I think they make this move because they see themselves as a Super Bowl contender. Yeah. And I think that the fact that the the NFC is just wide open. To me, I would still have them as my third best bet to make the Super Bowl um, right ahead of Dallas, but behind San Francisco and Philly. But, I mean, anything can happen on, on in those NFL playoffs. And they they know that the strength of their team is is their offense, offensive side. The defense is all right. But I think that they have enough now that they can win in a shootout against a very good team, um, you know, when it comes down to it in the playoffs. John, anything to add on your thoughts of what Minnesota did as a franchise and, and how you anticipate the Vikings offense moving forward? They saw the Packers play football and said, yeah. this is our year. We're going for it. So, no, good on them. Uh, and let's face it, Theo, Herb Smith missing 21 games in three seasons. They want a body that will be on the field. Now you've got one with upside. And, Dan, you and I share some Kirk Cousins and Superflex teams. I've got Cousins on a lot of teams. This only helps him adding a, a big body with, like Hawk to you know to add to the red zone and, and everything you guys just said. So I'm, I was just surprised hearing a couple reactions today, like people not super excited about it. As a fantasy player, I mean, I love this uh, this addition to, to the Vikings there, offense. There's a lot of Hawkinson haters out there. I mean, there's seriously. A lot. There's there, a lot. You know, there are a lot of people who just really don't think he's good at all. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't see it that way. John, what do you think? I mean, you know, where do you think Hawkinson is at talent-wise just in a vacuum? Oh, talent-wise, he's incredible. He still has a lot. He's still raw. He still has a lot to piece together. And the issue has been Amon Ross St. Brown is just the better player. Like, he emerged quicker than Hawkinson did in, in half the time. And so Amon Ross St. Brown is the player that eats those targets in the intermediate level of the field, which is why I was just simply down on Hawkinson coming into the year. But that doesn't matter anymore because his scenario has now changed entirely. He's significantly more athletic. Uh, than Adam Thielen for a team that likes to pass in the shallow and intermediate levels of the field. So sure, if it clicks really quickly, the playbook for Hawkinson, I think he has a much higher ceiling than he did in Detroit, much higher. And we did see success last year when Zach Ertz was moved to Arizona immediately. Yep. So, you know, tight ends tight ends can acclimate quickly. Um, they don't always do, but they can. Um, John, can you touch on your thoughts on how this affects the Detroit offense and maybe a little bit on Khalif Raymond, who I think might've been um, a sneaky winner today. Well, 
Raymond, it's because we keep chasing Josh Reynolds as the team's deep threat. But honestly, like it's Raymond since week four, since DJ Shark was initially ruled out and hasn't practiced since, has had a 16.5% target share in that span. And in the last two weeks, at 75 receiving yards, which is big, especially for, again, the Bimageddon where we have two flexes to fill and you're thinking, okay, no one else is available on the waiver wire. Uh, I like a receiver who has 75 receiving yards in back-to-back games. That's okay, especially a deep threat who catches balls, whereas we all saw uh, Josh Reynolds drop that deep touchdown this past week. Uh, Lions, once again, also in a, a favorable matchup indoors. So overall, yeah, I like I like Khalif Raymond as a sneaky pickup, especially for this week. And then Brock Wright is just interesting because we've now seen, since T.J. Hawkinson was initially injured last year, he's made 12 appearances for the Lions. And in that span, he does have three top 13 starts. But he's been so boomer bust, basically as a as a timeshare tight end. Uh, he's only averaged 2.7 targets and 4.3 fantasy points in four career starts for Hawkinson overall. But James Mitchell also involved in this offense, except James Mitchell hasn't run more than six routes in any game this year. And so I don't expect Mitchell to immediately jump into Wright's timeshare as a 50-50 tight end room. And that's why, at least for this week when we need him, I'm very interested in Brock Wright. Dan and Andrew, does everybody love Raymond? (laughs) Hey, this week I love him. Yeah. <laughs> everybody loves everybody loves Raymond good. in week nine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just uh, you know, just just to show you what some of my teams are like. Uh, this is this is the bench on uh, one of my squads here. I'll I'll throw it up real quick. That's a thing of beauty, right? What Man. describe uh, it, Dan? Describe it for the listeners who, who, who are not. We have, I, I have, uh, seven, I have ten, yeah, ten, 10 bench players. Um, seven of them are on by, and Chase Edmonds, Ronnie Rivers, and Michael Thomas are the three that are not on by. In the <laughs> Just starting cut Michael lineup, Thomas. Just cut Michael Thomas. It's in, not going to happen. In, in the starting lineup, already have Kadarius Tony, James Cook, Juwan Johnson. Taekwon Thornton. Wow. Yeah, this is going to be ugly. Brian Robinson. Brian, Brian Robinson is ugly. Yeah. I see him. Yeah, Rob, Robinson is I mean, Edo Ed, Benjamin and, also. And, and Edo Benjamin, yes. So, yeah, yeah this, this 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 team is not winning anything this week. I, I think sure. Theo's right. Uh, I even put Michael Thomas in the drop list this week. Hasn't practiced since Anisha got injured. They have egregiously handled that injury, um, not putting him on IR, and he's already missed four games. And so like, if he gets slapped on IR out of nowhere, like we're all screwed. We've all just yeah, held right. on to him for too long. So I, I think this is a week where if you're that desperate, and honestly, maybe you chalk that team up to an L. I don't know. But if you're that desperate, I think this is the week you may cut ties with Michael Thomas. And that's the sabotage drop too. Now and right. now and this time of year, if you drop a big name who you don't have faith in, someone's going to use three hundred dollars of fab or more to add Absolutely. that guy. So it's a nice. That's an old school sabotage drop. And, Andrew's been pulling that move since two thousand. No, I'm, I'm a sucker for that move. I I love when people do it to me. It gets me going. You love you love throwing that fab in. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Those are uh, those are the Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase, Marquise Brown, uh, who else do we have? That's that's current. Oh, Mike Williams. Those that those situations yep. that happens after this week when they get dropped because they have to. 
it's just wild. We saw actually I saw Hollywood Brown. Shout out to uh, Joe Carlton in the chat. Hollywood Brown was was dropped in a couple of NFFC leagues, um, and I think that he went for 25, 30%. So people are not going insane for it. But again, you're spending, you know, 30 plus percent on a guy who's not going to be back for a few weeks. It's a it's a it's a bold strategy, but you get people to actually spend it. One one trade that went down today that was kind of polarizing because we we talked about it a lot in our we have a couple of high stakes chats um, and this trade was talked about there. But I think in Twitter, it seemed like kind of a one that was glanced over. Naheem Hines was sent to Buffalo. Zach Moss and a, a, a day three pick were sent sent back to Indianapolis. I'm a fan of this. And I talked to Andrew uh, this afternoon about it. I think that Naheem Hines is a sneaky winner today. And I think he landed very well. Um, interested to hear your thoughts, John. And then maybe, Andrew, you want to share your, your take because I thought it was good. For the Bills, you wouldn't know it, but they actually don't even throw deep as often as last year, first of all, but more importantly, not often at all. Josh Allen is 21st and throws 20 yards deep this year uh, with a tw- just 12.5% of his pass attempts. But again, you wouldn't know it because he's completed 55% of those pass attempts for 21 yards per attempt and seven touchdowns. When they go deep, it's usually because they see a look that they're going to exploit and then uh, take advantage of it and are successful from it. But most of the time, Josh Allen, honestly, is just attacking the shallow and intermediate levels of the field where defenses have been giving him. And Naheem Hines certainly helps that. Uh, Allen has already targeted his running backs at the 13th highest rate this year, and that's with talent we don't consider comparable to Naheem Hines as a receiving running back. Hines also leads all active running backs and rate of snaps from the slot, 21%. So there are multiple ways for him to get there in this offense, especially. He adds another layer to it. And given that Adam Schefter already reported that Hines will be active and play if he passes his physical, and we're assuming that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I do definitely think, think it kills, as you mentioned in the chat. Uh, James Cook's dynasty stock, but more importantly, like Hines, I think is a weekly flex value now. Who doesn't want the actual lone pass catching back because no one else will compete for it from Josh Allen. Think think about guys that that game Theo where Hines came in and he was supposed to start and he got hurt in the first play of the game. Imagine he he had a game that day. What if this he just had the Deion Jackson receptions, JD. If he just had the the Deion Jackson receptions. Yes. I think that the the perception would have been, but Andrew, you had a you had another take on this. Well, go for well, it. I don't know if John was dancing around it, but I I mean I think that you know James Cook's value may have may have already been low for this year. I think this kind of tanks Devin Singletary. I mean he's a, he's a bowl around the uh, the goal line, but from a pass catching perspective, I remember you know Jonathan Taylor's rookie rookie year, and certainly uh, Jonathan Taylor bigger than Devin Singletary. I think even Hines was getting some goal line passes that he was sneaking through, um, even in like one and two yard touchdown passes um, in the Jonathan Taylor rookie. So it's not it's not like he can't do it. And the Bills create enough space around the goal line where it's not like he's actually taking those like monstrous hits. So I actually I actually think that Hines I have as somebody who could possibly take over and, and kind of tank Singletary's value completely. So I, I'm looking at Hines as like the the guy here in Buffalo. Uh, as as the one that you want, I, I saw someone today almost compared to CMC. Sorry, Daigle. No, no, you're. I don't. I don't know if I have that ceiling for him, but I agree. Like light, uh, light, CMC light. 
CMC, uh, CMC, like, you know, like, oh, I wasn't saying 20% CMC. CMC. I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, I think that what's that small to... size at Starbucks? The, the tiny one, the, sh- yeah. the oh, short, uh, it's short, the you short. You would, I get for my three year old son, I'll get him a short. <laughs> one I, I do think, uh, uh, Devin Singletary definitely becomes boomer bust, right? Like, touchdown or RB 40 or beyond. That's it, which makes him like basically unstartable unless you know there are six teams on by moving forward. Uh, guys, thoughts on Deion Jackson? I, I think he becomes suddenly one of the handcuffs to roster at this point, in my opinion. We've already seen what he can do, and Jonathan Taylor's already banged up. I know the Colts uh, have had issues on offense. They switched to a different offensive coordinator, but Deion Jackson has to be one of the bigger winners uh, for, for this week. Um, maybe go around the horn. Thoughts, guys? It's... Yeah, so I go ahead. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw out that I dropped Deion Jackson in a lot of places on uh, Friday night or Saturday night and Sunday morning um, to pick up Ronnie Rivers preemptively. Um, that one is going to sting for sure. Uh, I I really didn't put a lot of credence behind uh, Naheem Hines moving, so I, I probably should have held off a little bit on that. Uh, Places where I did hold on to uh, Deion Jackson, though, were places where I had Jonathan Taylor, so I was kind of using him as, uh, you know, sort of a handcuff there. This uh, one did come late, though, Dan. Like, I don't yeah. think there you can have hindsight on that because Jackson got hurt. Hines played ahead of him. There was no rumors about Hines being moved till about 48 hours ago. And, and if you're talking FFPC, Dan, you only have 10 spots, right? It's not like those MFL rosters where we're 25, 30 deep. So I'm, I'm with you. In, in, in those dinos, I've, I still got them. But FFPC was hard to hold on. But, guys, he gave you an RB1 week. RB1, 28 fantasy points. He's shown it. This offense hasn't changed. Uh, the opportunity is there. JT doesn't look like JT. He might still be dealing with an injury that will come back and give Jackson that opportunity again. And now Hines is just not there anymore. So I personally loved what I saw with Jackson. Little bias as a Colts fan, but I really liked that he was like a three down back upside uh, behind a guy like JT. We saw two moves on the defensive side of the ball. We want to spend not not too long uh, talking about defensive players in the GOAT district. We're, <laughs> we are not an IDP podcast for the record. We don't want to go down those streets, but – the, the Ravens and the Ravens made big moves to get Bradley Chubb and Roquan Smith. Uh, do these moves uh, move the needle for you, John, uh, in how you view these teams moving forward? Yeah, the Dolphins especially needed it. Uh, they've actually sent just four pass rushers at the league's second lowest rate. They blitzed the seventh highest rate. They're depending on extra rushers. And now Bradley Chubb lining up across from Jalen Phillips. Those two players are both top 14 and pressures among defensive ends and, uh, and, and edge players this year. So, yes, like that's actually a deadly threat. And for Rowan Quan Smith, it's no surprise. Um, coming from Ozzy uh, and then uh, Ravens GM uh, – skips my mind right now i can't remember ed someone help me out here whatever the case uh they built the past decade through their interior like up the middle uh ray lewis cj mostly and now roquan smith no surprise that's how they're building this defense it helps this week too because i imagine it's enough time to get roquan smith limited packages and what the saints are doing 
is literally just this is probably why they're starting Andy Dalton because they're telling Andy Dalton if you run the offense through Alvin Kamara who has at least nine targets in three consecutive games like you're okay because Jameis Winston wasn't doing that Winston was just throwing downfield all the time and so Andy Dalton has actually been efficient because he's dumping the ball off and so Roquan Smith can help limit that explosiveness that Kamara has so I think it's happening at the right time and long term, I bet they do re-sign him in the offseason. So yeah, I th- actually think it's two impactful moves for these two teams. Eric it's, DaCosta. It's that- Eric DaCosta, Thank you. yeah. Yes. And I'll I'll give a quick shout out to my my buddies uh work for Baltimore Beatdown, which is one of the best Ravens podcasts going and also a good website. They, there's been some kind of mixed mixed opinions on this. There's some people are very excited that they went out and got an impactful linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, who's been a very good player in this league. And some people are a little bit upset that they didn't go out and get an offensive skill position player, especially a wide receiver. But it seems like kind of the Ravens view themselves as a team that that is going to be different. And I think that adding a linebacker kind of fits their MO. Dan, your thoughts on, on these two teams making these big defensive moves? Yeah, I, I think that probably does not bode well for the Ravens passing attack just because, you know, if they've got a better defense, there's going to be less need to pass, and they they definitely lately have been showing they're not that interested in passing. Um, first half of the, the their last game uh, notwithstanding. But, it, and I think that's going to be good for Miami's defense. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't mean that we don't have some good old Miami shootouts still going on. Uh, that would be my main fear for, uh, you know, the fantasy repercussions. I, as long as they keep it consolidated to our boys, Dan, you know, as long as all the touchdowns go to Tyreek and, and Jalen Waddle, then, you know, we're, we're good with that. Uh, short term, they may not have their players. I don't know. But, but honestly, like, I still don't really worry about the Ravens offense because, They'll just do what they did on Thursday, and Harbaugh will throw his hands in the air and say, okay, jailbreak Lamar. Like, just put it in Lamar's hands. Those pass attempts, 38 for Lamar on Thursday, were the fifth most in his entire career. Uh, he also had nine carries to go along with that. Demarcus Robinson, who you should plug in this week, by the way, for Rashad Bateman, um, had, a, had a team high eight targets. Like, they're going to, they're honestly, as long as they have Lamar, and they give him that many touches, they're going to be fine. Like, they'll be okay. Especially because, like, I attribute the Raiders' performance on the Raiders more so than a Saints defense that ranks dead last in pressure rate and had allowed 33 points per game the past month leading up to that game against the Raiders. Like, I think the Ravens could score points on Monday night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. We had a big trade last week when Kadarius Toney was sent to Kansas City Uh we talked about it a little bit last week, but I'm curious your thoughts on it, John, and how you expect the Kansas City offense to look um, post by. I mean, the last time we saw them, they they laid a beat down on the San Francisco 49ers. Now they add another weapon. Uh, how do you view them moving, moving forward, and how does Tony fit in? It really comes down to <laughs> if he's healthy. That's the running joke, but honestly. He's healthy. Uh... Come on. The, guy's, the guy just, you know, he's, he's miraculously cured. It's uh, really, though, all we have to go on, honestly, because we, re- we haven't seen him. Like, we've seen him for two plays this year and week one, and that was, that was just fine. He was explosive in those two plays. He got taken off the field immediately afterwards. But we really just have that uh, start in week four last year 
and then the opening drive, all the way to the opening drive of week six. And that's when he had 25 targets and 7.3 yards after the catch per reception. Like, that's what we're going off, that kind of talent within a two-and-a-quarter-week span. And so in this offense that, again, does not throw deep, really relies on their players underneath uh, and someone to take away from the targets Travis Kelsey seeing and the coverage Kelsey seeing, if Tony's healthy, it's an amazing trade. It's an amazing deal. Like, there's really nothing else to say because it's Kadarius Tony with Patrick Mahomes. But again, I, 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 I genuinely don't know if uh, young Joka is healthy. I have no idea. Would you be selling high on him, Dan, uh, right now in Dynasty, or are you riding this uh, Tony Express, you know, all the way and seeing what happens? Well, this this would be theoretical for me because I own no Tony in Dynasty. Um, all my shares are in redraft, but I mean, I would definitely, I would, anytime something like that happens, the news happens, I'm I'm going to explore my options and see what can I get for him. You know, is there somebody who's way higher on him than I am? Uh, you know, then I want to trade to that person. Uh, if I'm still the highest person on him, then, you know, or every, you know, we all know how it is with trading. I mean, you know, even when somebody else is high on a player, they're not going to give you what you think you ought to get for them. So it's, it's tough to get the trades done anyway. But uh, Tony, Tony's a guy I would definitely throw out there and uh, see if anybody bites on. Go, go send it. Go to the Mahomes owner and send right. send yeah. an offer with uh, with Tony. Uh, one thing, uh, Theo, that I find interesting is how you see in the NFL right now different approaches to teams just collecting receivers. You've got on one side the Mahomes where they're trying to build a receiving core for him, see who he clicks with, keep adding weapons until they get the right fits, and then you have the other side of that, like the the Fields, the the uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence, where where they're like, is this the guy? kind of like let's give them some weapons and is this the guy you've got two different approaches or two different scenarios but a similar approach and adding these receivers in these offenses so it's going to be interesting to see how these dominoes fall rest of season and then you know beyond that i will i'll just give myself a quick humble brag guys uh thinking back to a dynasty trade i made um in late august i sent Najee harris um r.i.p for anybody uh, holding Najee harris shares in dynasty I sent Najee Harris for Travis Etienne and Kadarius Toney. And I'm sure that the manager that made that trade was probably laughing after week one and week two, but you're not laughing now. I'm the one who's <laughs> oh. laughing. So uh, I will give myself a little pat on the back for that one. Yeah. Speaking oh, of nice. Jacksonville, JD gave us an excellent segue. <laughs> we had the unexpected trade today where Calvin Ridley heads to Andrew Schellenberg's Jacksonville Jaguars, and they gave up. If I'm reading this correctly, it will end up being a second and a fifth if he plays. Uh, this Andrew, was that the the compensation? It's two picks. Uh, there's a bunch some... of conditions and escalators to get to the second. He has to be re-signed long-term in Jacksonville. So, like, if if it's if they're able to do that, that's still probably a pretty good price for for the receiver that he is. But if it, if if he doesn't get reinstated, doesn't get reinstated by a certain timeline doesn't meet playing thresholds, doesn't get re-signed. It stays at like a sixth round pick. Uh, so I think this, the second pick has a lot, a lot of uh, conditions and escalators on it. It does, yeah. And I, I, I'm sure you're excited about this though, Andrew, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, and John, I wanna get your opinion. What does this say about Jacksonville and their long-term approach with Trevor Lawrence? Well, I, I would 
think they're saying he needs help and this is the player that will get him there because Lawrence has averaged just eight yards per attempt on throws 20 yards downfield this year because no one's delivering. Christian Kirk has caught four of eight targets. But overall, this team has the 18th most passing plays deep, whereas Calvin Ridley, last time we saw him play, 28% of his targets came 20 yards downfield. Like, he is a deep threat waiting to happen. He's the -the over-the-top threat they need over Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, who they locked into long-term deals this offseason. So, yeah, I I expect Marvin Jones to be gone next year, and then it's Calvin Ridley, presumably, leading this team in routes run, and that's the guy you need deep. So it's just further investment into Lawrence under Doug Peterson. Dan Thea knew I was partying uh, Sunday morning. Uh, not not because the Jags were playing, just because it was Sunday morning and I was I was drinking for it. Um, I mean, Andrew's yeah, at the bar every Sunday morning. It's that's like right. It's typical Sunday mornings. So this was uh, I, we, we were talking uh, with a Jaguars buddy, and it was like, boy, we need to get him a number one. And then we were insulting to Christian Kirk. Of course, you know, forget the money that we're paying him. I said, well, Christian Kirk's a good wide receiver number three on on a playoff team. And uh, the question is okay, is, is really a, a good wide receiver one for a playoff team or is he better as a wide receiver two? That's the question that we reposed to ourselves uh, today. Um, and, and and so I, I, I like Ridley a lot, uh, but at the time that he does play next year, if he does, if he gets reinstated, that's a year and a half away from football. So until in further notice, I am still viewing him as a wide receiver two. Now, I don't know if Jacksonville can get a true one in, but I think that just in terms of like as you think about you know selling the news, JD, right? Like you, like you say, um, like to say, um, this obviously provides a, a bump to his dynasty. I, I think that there's at least somebody who wants to get him in. Um, you know, could could be tied to a, a young quarterback. Um, I think just the question is, is he going to get reinstated, and do you have a, a selling opportunity here uh, just on this news here today? It's a massive win though for for Ridley. I mean, even if you yeah. want to consider selling him, he goes from stepping back into an offense that we've seen be go running back crazy, uh, not using Kyle Pitts and Drake London, where Calvin Ridley gained multiple rounds of redraft value next year and and considerably more dynasty value. I love that they went out and did this. The timing seems super weird that Atlanta would move him at the deadline. Like, I don't know. It seems kind of odd, but I think it's like the same deal could have been on the table months from now. I don't know. It's so weird. It's almost like Atlanta's just sitting there and Jacksonville's like, oh, we got to go do something. Let's see if they'll they'll trade us Ridley. It was like a yeah. last minute type thing. I don't know. It's it's just very odd timing. Um, but you, you've got to love it if you're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. They they're doing everything they can to help Trevor Lawrence um, you know, ascend. Whether he ever reaches, you know, this elite potential, it's not gonna be because Jacksonville hasn't been trying. And that offense, like everything kind of will settle in. Maybe Ridley's not your classic wide receiver one but he's close enough to it kirk moves into a natural wide receiver two slash three and then the the zay jones of the world go down down the chart so it's i i love the fact they did it um staying in state uh what are your thoughts on jeff wilson being a miami dolphin uh john raheem mostert has been a pretty reliable rb2 uh do you think jeff wilson if would you be worried for your raheem mostert uh shares or do you think this is just a clear handcuff so very quickly just to rewind uh it's it's fun because calvin ridley i think they made the deal knowing he'll be 28 
and do $11.1 million on the final year of his contract. So maybe they don't re-sign him, but honestly, for a player of his stature, do that money given today's receiver market at that age. Like, look what Tyreek Hill is accomplishing at age 30. Uh, not to say they're the same player, but overall, that's okay. I think it's a great deal for Jacksonville. Also, anytime there's Calvin Ridley news, I think it's hilarious because, remember, he got banned for a year for betting on a 10-team parlay. He's one of us. Never forget that. Yes. Uh, it, and he was betting against the Jaguars. Yes. yes. And oh, no, that's that's the interesting caveat. Actually. Yes. I forgot about that one. Yes. Um, but no, for Jeff Wilson, it's it's very interesting. Not only because of his obvious familiarity with Mike McDaniel and the 49ers, but also 51% of the Dolphins running back carries have come from 21 personnel this year with Alec Ingold on the field. And Jeff Wilson has the league's third most attempts from 21 personnel. So he for 4.3 yards per carry. So he drops right in to a very familiar stature, very, very familiar offense. And I think he can just, given his status, given what he does, I think he can pick it up immediately. Raheem Mostert, to your point, has handled 70% of the team's running back carries for five consecutive games now. Uh, Chase Edmonds was second on the team and carries inside the 10-yard line to Raheem Mostert's four. And that's where I think Wilson really makes an impact is inside the red zone. So although you still trust Mostert as a low-end RB2, fringe RB2, his ceiling undoubtedly is capped now because Wilson adds to the mix. And so... I do think like wherever Wilson was rightfully dropped, I don't blame people for dropping Wilson knowing Elijah Mitchell was right around the corner and Wilson handled back-to-back season lows in San Francisco's touch share in their backfield. Uh, I think Wilson is arguably the best long-term pickup on waiver wires right now if he's out there. You would pick up Wilson before Naheem Hines? Oh, uh, just curious. That's, well, I'm, I'm trying to no, play that. I'm just curious, basically, on the running back's move today. Yeah, I realize Hines is is not out there in most of these formats. Right. But, just but in, in some he is. No, it's a totally fair question. I haven't thought about it. I think I would still take Hines and PPR leagues, which most leagues are. And I bet Hines has higher weekly consistency. But honestly given that Mostert's still dealing with an injury right now Wilson Wilson's ceiling's higher so it kind of depends on your roster build and, 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 sorry dad I was just gonna say less chance of injury now that he's out of San Francisco too yeah that too sure well even less, though like less hamstring work yeah even though even though Mostert well Mostert's playing through injury Mostert's actually I think he's only 28 carries away from his career high by the way like right. he's just he's kind of just zooming along right now yeah I I mean, honestly, I love uh, Jeff Wilson there. I think that's going to be fantastic for him. Uh, I think that's going to push really uh, Mostert down to more of a you know an RB three, somebody you'd start in the flex maybe if you need to. But uh, I'm I'm going to have trouble uh, you know once we get a week or two uh, past today, I'm going to have trouble uh, starting Mostert most likely unless I see something different than I think of what I'm going to see, which is I think Wilson is probably going to get more of the attempts um, and they're going to, you know, they're going to kind of save Mostert and make him kind of the, the change of pace a little bit, uh, which is a role he's always thrived in. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's, that's kind of what my hunch is anyway. No, I don't, I, I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly scarier than having, you know, Chase Edmonds and Miles Gaskin behind behind you. I'm not happy about, you know, for my Raheem Mostert uh, shares, it was kind of like found money. And now it seems like 
you know, McDaniel adds a guy that he's familiar with and a guy that we've seen have fantasy success like six weeks ago. It's not like Jeff Wilson. We have to like think back in our memories of the time he popped. Like we've seen him put up big fantasy numbers this season. So I think it was a nice move by Miami and I'm a little worried um, about how that split's going to go. I think there's also a chance that they, that neither one of them will be usable because it might become more of a true split uh, in an offense where they're funneling so much to to two wide receivers, I Dan and Andrew won't won't like like this one. But we've got to talk about Chase Edmonds. Do we have any hope for him now in Denver, John? Um, he's a player Andrew Andrew has rostered quite a bit, so we'd like to uh, follow up on that. That offense is just such a joke. Uh, George Payton, not even Hackett. Peyton came out today and said Melvin Gordon's a starter. It's none of your business. Get out of here. You're the one who hired, like, <laughs> arguably the worst coach since Joe Judge, Adam Gase. Like, let him decide. Also, we know Melvin Gordon and Latavius Murray the past two weeks have matched each other with 25 touches each. Latavius Murray's outscoring Melvin Gordon because he has four carries inside the 10-yard line to Melvin Gordon's two in that span. And that's where I think Chase Edmonds still gets squeezed out of. Thus, you know, if he's out there in FFPC, again, deeper leagues as well, and FFC, we've, we've had no choice. We've had to pick up and maybe even start Latavius Murray to this point because we've been desperate. I still honestly want Latavius Murray over Chase Edmonds, knowing he has the fruitful role. Edmonds has eight career carries inside the five-yard line. He's been pigeonholed for five straight seasons for his career out of the goal line. And and usually we've seen now one coaching change didn't help that. Usually a second certainly does not either. Once you're in that role, you're in that role for the rest of your NFL career. And so um, Edmonds may get the third down role and thus give him a higher floor. But overall, gosh, how can you argue for a player who not only ranked dead last in next-gen stats, rushing yards over expected, like under 100 rushing yards compared to what he should have gotten given the gaps he had to run through, but then also was going to a significantly worse offense. Like, I understand usage is important, but it's going to be a three-headed timeshare, we assume still. Uh, so I, I don't see a rosy outlook for him, honestly, unfortunately. I mean, speaking of three-headed, John Daigle, I've got a three-headed – fantasy receipt style meme that I will be unleashing upon Dan and Theo soon. And also uh, Nelson Sousa. And also Nelson Sousa. Uh, so, yeah, you, and JJ and there's JJ Zacharyson, uh Nelson Sousa were also yeah. worked into this one. What was it? Let's hear you it. Know that, you know that that three-headed dragon meme where there's like two like stealth looking dragons that are about to mess up a third goofy looking dragon? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I did a whole meme making fun of myself this summer because, you know, I was the goofy-headed dragon because I said I didn't like Chase Edmonds. And Dan, more or less, I, I fudged the quote, but more or less, Dan was like, Andrew, look, look at all these people who are on Chase Edmonds. And it was all, I, they were on the smart dragons. To, the goofy dragon. To, to be fair, uh, I did like Chase Edmonds, but where I drew the line of the sand was that he got up, remember, to the sixth round at some point. And it's yeah, like, my yeah. argument was always, you cannot take Chase Edmonds over Jalen Hurts. That is literally a potential oh, league winner compared to a player who projects as a, at best, low-end RB1. You can't do that. And so that was where I drew the line. Um, Chase Edmonds, obviously, much worse than all yeah. of us. Maybe not you, but the rest of us expect yeah, not. Dragon is right today. He got me this summer, too, and it's, I think that's like, 
we'll have to do like a process episode and look at the busts from this year yes. and kind of try to identify the guys that fit that archetype. I think that's a good show idea because, you know, the you nailed it. Uh, you know, we, we expected kind of an outsized role from a guy who had never really shown it and right. never got work inside the five. So I, he, he got a lot of sharp people this summer, uh, but he didn't get Andrew. And I'll, and I'll give a hot tip to Andrew on that one. Andrew was if, Andrew was was that was ready. the only thing I was right about this year. If we if we learn anything <laughs> from Mike Davis with the Falcons, it's to not throw players in buckets that they don't deserve to be in, that they've never reached before. Like that's that's really what you need to take away for draft season. And Chase Edmonds kind of fit that bucket where actually he's never been used as this player in four seasons in his career. Why would he do it in the fifth season? As I put out on Twitter uh, a couple times now this year, Chase Edmonds never met the running back. He couldn't lose his job, too. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I was definitely on Chase, uh, you know, following the money uh, after he was signed as a free agent. Uh, I, I, I have boomeranged like a jilted lover on him now. So, you know. Fordham's, I, I, Fordham's <laughs> finest. Fordham's <laughs> finest. Those, uh, yeah. those 12 carries in week one look good. They sure we'll, we'll always yeah. have we'll always have double digit carries in week one. We felt good week one. We felt pretty good yep. week one. Um, J- JD, uh, the, yeah, I was I was gonna say Theo. Let me let me give a plug uh, to our partners and and you know a little sum for those who who did go a little heavy on Chase Edmonds and and might not be contending right now. But one of the reasons we've got the six hundred strong and we've been able to build this awesome community with you guys and drop all this goodness is thanks to our partners at myffpc.com. Guys, if your teams are out right now, you can play on the weekly $35 entry, $200 entry, two different tournaments, $10,000 up for grabs. Go check it out, myffpc.com. There's a link in the comments where you can get a sign-up bonus on the site if you're not already on there. Otherwise, go check out the tournament. Lots of fun. Add it to your rosters right now, myffpc.com. Theo, get back to it. Not a trade. We, we, I think we covered all the trades, um, and we're getting a little deep into the show. But, John, we, we've got to get your reaction to Tony Pollard last week. Now we have Dallas going on to a bye. Tony Pollard rushed for three touchdowns. Uh, I know you brought this, this stat up, but Zeke has never done that in his entire career. Maybe you could, you could tell everybody the last Dallas Cowboy to do that. And what can we expect from this offense coming off of the bye week? Are they going to stick with Pollard, or do you think it's they're going right back to Zeke? I know we saw the quote. Not only was Tony Pollard the last running back since Julius Jones in 2004 to rush Julius for over 100 yards and three touchdowns, uh, but Tony Pollard actually leads the league in touchdown runs of 50-plus yards since 2020. Even so, after the game, uh, Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones went into defense immediately of Ezekiel Elliott. Mike McCarthy said, we have a 1A, 1B situation. Like, we have two running back ones. And Jerry Jones says, this offense goes as Zeke goes, even though it was good to see what Pollard did. I genuinely, after the bye, don't think anything changes. I think Pollard goes right back to his normal 45% share of backfield touches, and he can explode on limited touches like Khalil Herbert. And we've now seen the past two games. Herbert is in a timeshare, and he's outperforming Dave Montgomery because when you give better players the same amount of touches, they will outperform the other player. It's very easy. But there's still this 90 million elephant in the room with Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's the one who 
puts his fist to his mouth like he's eating cereal and sells season tickets. And honestly, the organization cares more about that than winning. So I, I genuinely do not think a single thing changes out of their buy. And that's not what people want to hear, but I think that's the that's the best analysis. Sell, sell high right now on the Pollard Express? So uh, for Dynasty or Redraft? In both ways, touch on Dynasty. We have a lot of a lot of listeners that are that are playing Dynasty, including ourselves. Dynasty's a little tougher because I do think they bring Zeke back. I really think they bring him back. And Pollard, of course, is an unrestricted free agent. Um, and they have Cavante Turpin, who is a special teams explosive play waiting to happen. Turpin's so good at his job at punt and kick returning, which remember was Pollard's before. I really do think they let Pollard walk. Honestly, I don't think they resign him. And what's frustrating about that is that Pollard, we've seen it now, he's, even in his last start, beyond this week, last year, uh, he was the RB2 overall in the week in place of Zeke. 12 carries, caught eight balls. But honestly, in a starting role, Pollard's a, a top five running back in the league. He's that good. And everyone sees it but the organization. And so I'm curious to know where he lands. So redraft, I sell high. Dynasty, I hold and wait to see the outcome and the landing destination. It's so depressing. I agree. It's it's annoying. It's really depressing. It sucks, man. It sucks. I agree. And it's 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 just like you know we all see it with our own eyes, and it's the Cowboys are just something else, man. It's just the the Jerry Jones looming because you know Mike McCarthy, he he has a self preservation to him. He's a head coach. He wants to win ball games. You know Mike McCarthy wants to go to Tony Pollard. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. He's not the brightest bulb among NFL coaches, but come on, man. Dan, what do you what do you think? That uh so, sorry to cut you off, Dan, but oh, that that 50-yard 50, that touchdown run was impressive. Don't get me wrong, it was amazing. But I think the 20-yard run was even more impressive because like there's limited room to make people miss mm-hmm. when you're still behind the line of scrimmage. And Tony Pollard literally broke their ankles when they were still three yards away. Like Zeke was looking at all because he's never seen a double move in the last five years of his career. It was to Pollard's incredible. It's so fun to watch him play. I'm sorry, Dan. No, no, go right ahead. Uh, no, the only double move Zeke's seen is his chin, but that's why he has the beard. So nobody else yep. can see it. Um <laughs> Theo is giving Mike McCarthy another double chin a lot more credit than I would give him. A little uh, credit. I said I, he wasn't no, a great no, you're, you're saying that he would go to a power in a vacuum. I don't think he would. Uh, I, I, I think McCarthy is just, he, he is stubborn enough to say, nope, we're, we've got two running backs. That's the way he likes it. That's what he wants to do. And, uh, and he knows, of course, Jerry Jones, you know, if, if Jerry Jones wasn't there, I still think it, it, it would probably be 55-45 uh, powered over Zeke in, uh, in Mike McCarthy's world. Uh, but since Jerry Jones is there, it's 55-45 in Zeke's favor. And you'll never get Jerry Jones to ever say anything other than Zeke's our guy. Because if he does, then he's admitting that he was wrong to give him that contract. And he won't do that. So, yeah, this, this whole situation is just screwed. And the, and the Cowboys are just dumb enough to let Pollard walk. Mm-hmm. So... Andrew, what do you have on the Jerry Jones cock tease? Yeah, I got the uh, I got I got I got a sad sad uh, <laughs> sad story for you guys. Here, here a villain style. You you either die young as the Dallas Cowboys backup, or live long enough to see yourself as the 2023 uh, Chase Edmonds. 
So fifth round, fifth round, Tony Pollard shares next year and redraft don't hit. Is that, I'm, that's I'm, I'm going to absolutely hate him next year when, uh, when he goes you somewhere, when he's a Houston <laughs> Texan in a, in a split with uh, Damian Pierce next year. The, oh, the, the only, the only saving grace is that next year's running back free agent market. I don't know if you've seen the list yet. Uh, I mean, Saquon Barkley unrestricted, Jamal Williams unrestricted. The list goes on and on and on. Like, there are so many players that will likely get paid more than Tony Pollard. Maybe he maybe he ends back up in the Cowboys. Maybe they end up renegotiating and restructuring Elliott's contract. That's really the only saving grace here. Um, not, not for my mental health, since I'm just going to be so busy in free agency. Uh, the list of players available is absolutely insane, but it's redraft season. We don't need to get there. It's it's you know what the, the scenario it's going to happen is Jerry Jones going to going to trade up in the first round unnecessarily. Oh, right. back. And yeah. It's going to be Bijan Robinson yep. as yep. the next guy. It has Absolutely. to happen. It's uh, it, it, it's the natural move for Jerry um, to get the Texas running back. Is Travis Etienne the league winner, John? Yes. Uh, not that anyone dropped him anyways. Like we were holding on the entire time knowing he at least had third downs over James Robinson, but now, I mean, just 27 touches this past week, 87% of the team's backfield touches the past two games. Um, also, five of his carries this past game went for 10-plus yards. He's showing you as explosiveness, passing chops, and as an every-down back. So, yes, assuming he stays healthy, um, you you got him. You lucked into him. And, and honestly, that's kind of – we know all these rookies eventually play. Fantasy football happens in pockets every single year, and yet everyone only wants to analyze the entire season. Like, it's really just a matter of staying tried and true to your pocket or understanding when to buy high and sell low. And right now, I guarantee you in the offseason, we'll be talking about the last eight starts for ETN more than anything. He's running back 18. Where do you see him finishing among running backs? Do you think he's going to, like, rise up to – running back seven yeah dan's up to running back three andrew's throwing up the five like it, there's no ceiling here it seems like he's on another level right now uh he is currently he is currently uh rb24 in fantasy points per game i would imagine he gets up to rb eight or nine i would say i bet he finishes the year yeah, I bet he finishes the year overall as like the RB eight or nine. Honestly, a top ten running back for sure. No, it's awesome. It's awesome to see it, especially after you know we were big on him in the goat district, and there was a hard few weeks, but we never wavered. And now we're our our Travis Etienne teams are looking a, a lot lot better, and I know we have a lot of them in Dynasty. Took, took I, us eight weeks, but we're finally here, guys. <laughs> I, I I have a team where I've been plugging in RB twos. Just, just hoping for the best with Austin Eckler, RB one, of course, around him, and like now I lucked into Eckler and ETN for the stretch run. Like I have never been happier in my entire life, unless of course Marcus Mariota attempts twenty pass attempts every single week. Then uh, maybe I get Kyle Pitts there as well. Congrats on all the money you're going to win with on with that team, John. Um, Want to just get your opinion quickly on Indianapolis JD's Colts? Uh, they fired Marcus Brady today. They traded Naheem Hines. What are your expectations with Frank Reich taking over as the play caller in the Sam Ellinger-led Colts offense? Paris Campbell unfortunately disappeared because, remember, 
the past two games, week six and seven, he had a 20%, he had a, over a 20% target share uh, because the Colts had moved to a more up-tempo offense. And unfortunately, we saw them dip back down. Established the runs, Pat Thorman noted that last week, after leading the league in no huddle in week six and seven, in week eight, Sam Ellinger's first start, they had not a single play from no huddle. They also recorded 54 offensive plays compared to 70 plays per game from weeks five through seven. So a totally different offense. The good news is we got a season high 39% target share from Michael Pittman. So Michael Pittman, we were worried about the volume. It stuck around even higher. That's great. We can we can keep him in there as a reception floor wide receiver too. But honestly, the, the running backs are an issue. If it's only Deion Jackson or only Jonathan Taylor, that's fine. Even though Jonathan Taylor, I understand. It's been very frustrating, even though he even led Naheem Hines in passing downs on third and fourth down this year and handled 75% of backfield touches prior to his injury. Like He had the usage of Christian McCaffrey. He had everything you want. He's just not scoring touchdowns. But at the same time, Sam Ellinger comes in and throws to running backs on 12.9% of his attempts compared to Matt Ryan, who threw to this backfield on 25% of his attempts. So we're actually kind of taking away a lot of targets from the running backs as well. And so I do actually worry about uh, Taylor and Deion Jackson's passing game usage, but the good news is I still think Pittman will get us there to the end. Yeah, it's... uh... It's weird times in Indianapolis. Uh, any any hope for Alec Pierce? It's I think it's going to be boomer bust, honestly, because at least from Ellinger, three of his five targets came twenty yards downfield. Uh, but but honestly, we probably still need more than that. Otherwise, we just consider him a volatile option. So. Uh, untapped ceiling, sure, as the only player, literally the only one, getting downfield targets, even of Paris Campbell's 40 receiving yards, over half of them came on one target near the line of scrimmage that he just turned upfield for 20-plus yards. So uh, at least Pierce has a ceiling we are aware of, but a weekly start sit outside of Week 9, I genuinely think will be really tough. The third, third worst points per game put up, by any team in the NFL, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better. If anything, yeah. I just want him to keep losing so we can get something next year. You know? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's a mixed bag for me. I think that Ellinger, you know, does not look like a disaster, but the offense suddenly becomes slower. It's it's a it's just an odd it's just an odd concept. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what to make of it. I know that this could be a lost season for Taylor. Um, I think that that's a little bit disappointing, especially if you use the the early draft capital. But I think he's he has injuries lingering, uh, and I think I do respect Frank Reich for doing this move because I think he's kind of fighting for his job. I think if the season goes south, I think he's out of there, and now he's going to be calling the plays. So I, I do give him respect on that. Um, but I'm not sure which way this offense will go. I think even management might be on the way out after what we've these three attempts at quarterback can't help the GM to have his job going in 23. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're dead on um, a little bit happier uh, offense to talk about is Miami Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle right now have just been crushing it. Uh, Hill is wide receiver one overall and Waddle is, is right around wide receiver five. Can they keep up this torrid pace? And just to follow up, John, how is Mike McDaniel so effective at consolidating his target tree and still having his guys put up numbers the, the, the defense knows where the ball is going. 
and they just can't stop it. It's actually quite amazing. Uh, even Mike Jasicki this year is third on the team in targets. You wouldn't know it since, as you mentioned, Waddle and Tyreek are soaking up all the targets. Uh, but Jasicki only has a 10% target share on the year as well. So it's not like he's doing anything outside of these last three games. And even last week, honestly, because remember two weeks ago for two games straight, he ran around over 70% of dropbacks, was getting there, uh, back-to-back games, season highs and target share. This past week went back down to a 57% route participation, unfortunately. Uh, not good for us who bid on Jasicki wherever he was dropped. But honestly, it's just because of what they're doing in the middle of the field. Like, Tua has completed – 51% of his passes, 10 to 19 yards within the line of scrimmage because of play calling. And it's mostly it's just crossers with two of the fastest players in the league in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. But overall, like I don't think you can stop that. That's why Tyreek Hill has averaged over four yards per route run against man coverage because how are you going to stop that? The most you can do, even against crossing routes, is double team, bracket, but then you also have Jalen Waddle and you can't bracket both. So I, I genuinely do think it's, it's sustainable. I think it just continues. And it's really just a two-man show with now Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert sprinkled in to complement these two receivers. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. Yeah. And Tyreek Hill, I know, is, what is it, four 150-yard games now? It's it's just unbelievable how well he's playing. 450-yard games, and then Hill and Waddle have combined for – Oh gosh, what is it? It's a, uh, it's not. Is it sixteen eighty eight or is eleven eighty eight? Um, that's a big difference, I know. But one of those two numbers, I don't have that it's one. A lot. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Sixteen eighty eight. I think I think it's sixteen eighty eight, which is the most in the Super Bowl era among two teammates, wide receivers, uh, through the first eight games of the year. The uh, the Twitter people who said that Tua could not support um, two top twenty four wide receivers this past summer and let Jalen Waddle slip in drafts. Tyreek Hill slipped, but I'll give another another little hat tip to us. We were all over Waddle this summer, uh, and I, I'm glad we, we stuck with him because he's, he's a baller as well. It's like Jalen Waddle is just such an exceptional player, and I think that the Tyreek Hill gets, you know, is getting a little bit more of the of the attention, but Waddle is just fantastic. What's What's crazy, too, is that – they really are wide receiver one and wide receiver two. They're like, they're not 1A, 1B, because Tyreek Hill is getting so much larger of the pie than Waddle. Like, Tyreek Hill's averaging 11.5 targets per game. Waddle's at 7.8. That's a massive difference, and yet they're both getting there every single week. Guys, anything to add on Miami? No, just keep it going. I'm loving it. And Dan, do you you enjoy having our, our team with our with our Waddle and Hill on the same team? It's it's not bad. Oh, yeah, not bad at all. Um, you know, and then we've got another one that's got uh, Tyreek Hill and uh, AJ Brown. So yeah, we've got things going. I, I, I was going to say we we've been good at identifying uh, values uh, at receivers and AJ Brown. I know Dan, you know AJ Brown one on one, but we we stayed on AJ Brown when. Even after Philly, it looked like Fantasyland was kind of down on him. But we we kept telling the listeners, guys, go out and grab him. And, you know, it paid off. He's paid off a few times now. But you got to – I don't know how you didn't see him popping with this offense ascending and and Hurts ascending as a quarterback. 
We don't hey. trade talent in the GOAT districts, J.D. I mean, it comes down to it is, you know, when it comes to a guy like Pat Fryermuth, Jalen Waddell, you know, all the big names, we don't fade them. <laughs> Chase Edmonds. And, I, oh, sorry. and uh, uh, <laughs> only, only, only two of, J, of Jalen Hurts' 10 touchdown passes this year have come in the second half, too, because the Eagles literally don't hang around in the second half. They dominate teams and then pack yeah. it in. And it's like, there's going to be a game, and we literally have not had it yet. Because remember, even against the Cowboys and the, and the Cardinals, they, the Eagles had offensive linemen get injured, and uh, they couldn't pass protect, so they went back to their run-heavy game script. There's going to be a game this year at some point, maybe it's the playoffs, I don't know, that the Eagles have to compete into the second half with their passing attack, and that's the game that A.G. Brown eclipses 100 yards and three touchdowns. That's the game that Dallas Goddard eclipses 100 yards and a touchdown. Like, they will all go absolutely nuclear the moment they have to compete into the second half. I don't know when it is, but it's going to happen at some point. Yeah, that offense is and, – and I love the fact that they, they came out like that post-buy. I mean, you you bring up the the how good the offenses looked, but they were just humming. I mean, Brown had three first-half touchdown receptions. It's unbelievable, and it was post-buy. You always like to see and, these teams when they look good post-buy. I think it's a sign of things, things to come. And unfortunately, it won't be against uh, the Texans Thursday. We're going to get a lot of Miles Sanders. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I got. I gotta say, the AJ Brown uh, touchdown celebration. I did. You know, it, it it was definitely worth getting flagged fifteen yards for. But you gotta. The, the, yeah, the, absolutely. Not, when you not when you boss them, you gotta like, point them out. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was that was like the seven ten split, and he's just there. You go. You, you. You know, it's uh the the penalty the the penalties for unsportsmanlike after these amazing touchdowns are just about the stupidest thing. Oh, dumb! Really so, I mean, the DJ Moore and AJ Brown. It's like literally not one person sitting at home is like, "There you go, there you go, you got him, you got him for that one." Party poopers, man. Party poopers. It's like the missionary of the NFL, right? The uh... <laughs> I will say this, guys. Uh, waiver wires. It's Tuesday. Waiver wire is crucial this time of year, especially these big contests. You know, we talk about the FFPC. We got two guys on the screen that put out the two best waiver wire shows out there. Uh, the, the only two that I, I know that they're the two that I make sure I, I, I pay attention to on a weekly basis. Theo dropped the OG live wire today. Another awesome show. Tons of goodness. Our boy John Daigle drops it on the weekly. Another one, four for four. Uh, guys, I, I mean, I, I tell Theo in the DMs, waivers is not the funnest thing to talk about. Let's face it, you know, but both of you guys make it interesting. You make it super entertaining and you give tons of goodness. So shout out to you guys. Guys, go check out their waiver wire shows. Uh, they're, they're both out right now. Appreciate that, JD. Thank you. Talking about waivers is fun. Mass entering waivers um, in too many fantasy <laughs> It's another thing. Not it's fun. not fun. It's, it's, it's terrific. Um, so but yeah, it's uh, give us a listen, the OG Live Wire, and then John's been dropping his during Monday Night Football. John, right? Am I correct on that? Yeah, it actually comes out a little earlier on the site. I don't promote it though, because like I'm still, you know, there's still coach speaking news coming out Monday afternoon, and I edit it all the way through Wednesday night. So yeah, it, it'll be there on the homepage if you want to tune in early. Otherwise, wait till Monday Night Football, and it's there on the site for four.com. 
So guys, smash the like, smash the subscribe. Make sure you're following John. Make sure you follow all the guys on this screen. I mean, we talked about the 600 subs. We've done, Dan, we've done hundreds of these shows uh, even prior to getting on YouTube. I want to thank Andrew, Theo. Theo has been busting it big time. Dan, you guys are awesome to do this with on the regular. You guys have made this channel what it is. Uh, we're going to keep bringing you guys the heat, the goodness, all these VIP guests, the best in the industry. You see John on here four or five times now. Uh, we talk about guys like Larky, Muzio. Uh, we bring you the best. And we hope that we, we've helped you win your league so far as we get into week nine. Theo, what do we have coming up in the district? I know we've, we've got a, a serious lineup coming still. So we've got some great guests coming up in November. Uh, we have Justin Herzig of Establish the Run, a friend of ours in our Dynasty League, um, one of the better DFS players in the entire world. Um, he's going to be on with us next week. We have Sam Hoppin, who works with John at 444, uh, Director of Analytics at 444, one of the extremely sharp guy. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to have him in the district for the first time. Uh, then we're going to have Austin R. Martin, who is probably the best dynasty player uh, in the country. He's going to be joining us in November, uh, another friend of ours. Uh, then we're going to have one more. We've had two high-stakes roundtables. They've both been fantastic. Um, and we're going to have our third high-stakes roundtable coming up, I believe, on the 15th with uh, Chris Vaccaro, one of the better NFFC, NFFC players around, also uh, does a fantastic podcast on The Athletic, uh, and Abib Agbatoba, um, one of the better FFPC players around, uh, two-time uh, Football Guys champion, uh, who also puts out tremendous content um, on his own podca podcast, First and 15. So we got a lot coming in the GOAT district. We got a lot coming. John, remind the peeps where they can find all your goodness and anything else uh, you have coming that they need to be uh, keeping track of. 444.com. If you DM me, as you mentioned, at Najee Daigle on Twitter, even though our Halloween sale is up, I bet I can still get you a coupon code. I bet it. So just reach out and I'll hook you up. And then also you can subscribe to type in the most accurate podcast, those exact words on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And that's where I am, I think three or four times a week. It all blends together now. But either way, DFS show also on the 444 YouTube. I assure you, if you just look up John Daigle, I am out there in the ether somewhere. Guys, this has been a blast. Make sure you drop in the comments your favorite trade today in the NFL. Maybe opportunity you see, whether it's Dynasty or Redraft, with what happened in the NFL today. Let us know how we can make this better for you. We want to help you keep on winning. And, guys, good luck as we approach week nine. We'll check you all later. You know the Pope listens Dynasty our religion For the blokes missing On all of these trades On all of these plays On all of these grades By the end of the day Y'all getting played So what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex Send the homie a text That trash offers the best You try to make it complex Then they text you back Now all of a sudden They don't make any sense <laughs> Broaden your horizons boy Dynasty's not for the Simons boy these trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T district, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... Uh...
And I always be traded, traded, traded. And I always be traded, traded, traded. And I always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta pay them, pay them, pay them. Fish. Awesome pod, fellas. We covered a lot. That was good. We got it all out. Yeah, always, always fun when John comes out. We didn't, we didn't hit uh, some of the chat questions. Uh, we apologize. We'll hit you guys up next time. We appreciate the uh, the chat for sure. We just uh, we had a lot to cover, man. All those trades happening today. It's hard to cover everything in, in you know. John's an expensive man to get on the show, so you know, we, we ninety minutes is all we can afford. I mean, to be honest, I was looking. Uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with what we talked about from the trade deadline. Anyhow, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe like there's this Brock Wright, and um, well, we actually we talked about Brock Wright on the show. Never mind, we literally hit on fucking everything. Never mind, move on. <laughs> there Brock you go. Wright. That's why you there listen to it.